So welcome, Mr. Hansen. Hello, hello, hello. Man. Well, good morning, everyone. And, uh, you know, what day is it today? August 4th? Yeah. Isn't it weird to be thinking about school? I still can't get used to that. You know, if we used to start school in, in Canada once the ice thawed, which would be right at the beginning of September. But, uh, yeah, it's just weird. But, uh, cool. So, as Jay was saying, we've been in this series, you can see there, called Redefined. We're looking at uh, a, a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is found, uh, we're, we're looking at it primarily in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and it's, uh, Jesus is giving a sermon while sitting on a mountainside, and, uh, and he is surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people have gathered around Jesus, and some of the people that have gathered around him are there because they have uh, big needs, and they, they really need something from Jesus. He's, up to this point, he's been doing just some, some crazy uh, miracles, and so there's people gathered around that are, that are you know, in need of that, hoping for that. Uh, there are people gathered around that are, they're just curious, like, who is this guy? And in that group, you would find the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and they're, they're asking that question, and they're more trying to find out, like, where is this guy coming from? Because we're not sure we agree with everything that he's saying. And then there's a smaller group of people that have gathered around Jesus, and they're there because he has invited them to come close. He's invited them to follow him, to, to be his disciples. And as we continue this series, it's really important to remember uh, just the context of the sermon that Jesus is giving. Just as, this is right near the beginning of, of Jesus, his ministry here on planet Earth. And he hit the ground running and he hit the ground saying, uh, declaring that the kingdom of God is here. With my arrival, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is breaking in to the kingdom of this world. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, he didn't just declare it, he also demonstrated it. And I referred to the crazy miracles. Up till this point, it says in Matthew 4 that every sick person, every sick person that came to him, Jesus healed them. Like, could you imagine the stir that would have been, you know, it's no wonder that people from all around Jerusalem, like hundreds, probably thousands of people were flocking to Jesus. The kingdom of God was breaking in. Life was breaking in. Uh, life-giving power was breaking in and healing and setting people free. Uh, so he's declaring, he's demonstrating the kingdom. And then as we get into this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is Jesus is now describing, like, what does it look like to be part of the kingdom of God. Or another way to put that would be, what does a follower of Jesus look like, act like? And so if you've been here for this series, we started off by talking about some things called the Beatitudes. And if you're like, well, what does that mean? Uh, I'd encourage you to grab a CD out of the info counter. We have uh, free CDs there for you there. Or you could go to vcdc.org and listen uh, online. But uh, the Beatitudes, basically, uh, they describe what does a follower of Jesus look like? And we learned that a follower of Jesus is someone who is poor in spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means someone who's, uh, who's come to the end of themselves. Uh, it says that someone, a follower of Jesus is someone who is meek, someone who is merciful, someone who is a peacemaker. And then last weekend, uh, JT did a wonderful job, and he, he talked about how a kingdom of God person, a follower of Jesus, lives their life in such a way that they impact the world around them the same way that salt 
impacts food. It preserves, right? It, it enhances the taste. Uh, they impact the world around them the same way that light impacts darkness. It, it lights the way. And what we're going to be looking at this morning really is a, like a pivotal, a pivotal part of the sermon because what I talk about today is setting up really the rest of the sermon that Jesus is going to give. And, and what Jesus is focusing on today is, is the law. And, and the phrase he actually uses in, in Matthew is the law and the prophets. And that really, you see that phrase all throughout the New Testament. And when he says the law, he's referring to the, uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. When he says the prophets, he's referring to the prophets, the uh, major prophets, the minor prophets found in the Old Testament. And really that phrase, the law and the prophets, it's like a catch-all phrase, phrase. It really means the Old Testament. What Jesus is talking about is the entire Old Testament, which to the Jewish people would be, that would be like their Bible, we'd call it their Bible. And when you talk about the law to a Jewish person at this time in history, really this time in history too, um, we're talking about something sacred. It's sacred, because when they think law, they think Moses. They think up on the mountain, face to face with God, and God, you know, with his finger, carves out the Ten Commandments, cuts it out, hands it to Moses. The law is sacred, and now they're looking at Jesus, and some of the people are listening to what he's saying, and they're like, ah, we're not so sure about this guy, especially the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're looking at Jesus like some uh, upstart rabbi, and they're like, I... I think this guy is rewriting the law. And, uh, but that's not the case. In the Sermon on the Mount, what we're looking at this morning, and especially what we're gonna look at in the weeks to come, uh, Jesus is not going after the law. He's not objecting to the law. He's certainly not rewriting the law, and this is really important. What he's going after, what he's objecting to, are the misinterpretations of the law. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, have missed the point of the law. And because they've missed the point of the law, they are not interpreting it actually or accurately. And uh, here's what I mean. Um, you know, in our home growing up, uh, seriously, in Canada, uh, I know I say this all the time, but it's, it's just because I'm trying to get a point across. In Canada, hockey is everything. Uh, hockey season is 365 days of the year. And, uh, uh, but during the actual hockey season in our home, Saturday night meant we gathered around a lousy RCA television to watch Hockey Night in Canada. And we grew up with two channels, uh, sort of like the Soviet Union. But we... Uh, we had, I'm not sure if that means, but we had, but we would watch Hockey Night in Canada. I remember one night, my dad, my brothers were, were gathered around the TV and we're watching a game and we're just, you know, engrossed in this game. And my mom walked by and she kind of stood and she looked at us and she looked at the game and she, and she made uh, this statement. She said, you know, you know, this game would be a lot easier if they took that little black puck off of the ice. And I just remember as a, as, you know, as a kid thinking, really? Like, actually, that little black puck is one of the main points of the game. You take that little puck off the ice, and this game makes no sense at all. So why am I saying that? I'm saying that because this. my mom missed the point of the game. And because of that, her interpretation, her understanding of the game was way off. And you know, uh, when I'm going to tell stories from when I was younger, I don't know, since I've hit my 30s, uh, 
I find, I just don't remember the story. So I, I'll call my parents and say, hey, like, did you really? And all these years, I thought my mom was serious when she said that. And, uh, uh, but I called and my mom said, yes, I said that, but I was joking. And I'm like, oh, I knew that, mom. I knew that. But uh, I didn't know that. But I say that to say, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, were missing the point of the law. And because they missed the point, their interpretations were not accurate. So today, I'm mainly focusing on the point of the law. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to take a good look at how Jesus addresses uh, the inaccurate interpretations of the law that the Pharisees have made. So let's pray. And you know, I want to pray this morning as we're, uh, if you're not aware, you've probably seen the news. Just It's just getting too regular, these shootings. We just had one in El Paso yesterday morning, and then last night or early this morning in Dayton, just down the road, there was a pretty, another shooting. So let's just pray uh, for those situations. So Lord, uh, we're just tired of this becoming normal. That's not right. We thank you that you are big enough to be close to every person who is hurting today, every person who's afraid. And we pray for churches in El Paso, we pray for churches in Dayton, uh, that you would make them bright lights. Just fill them up with compassion and love. I pray that you would take an ugly situation and make something beautiful out of it. So we, we just, we give it to you, Father. I pray you'd watch over us. And I, I pray today as we've gathered, I pray as we look at this sermon, Jesus, that you gave Lord, you, you, you said it to teach then, and I ask that you would teach us now. Teach us something new about you, about what it means to follow you. We just welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew 5. <clears throat> you can look in your phone, or we have Bibles at the front, the back. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one. It's also going to be on the screens. And we're really looking at four verses today. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts off at you know, in this point of his sermon he makes this statement of, hey, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. And I don't know why, what he was picking up on to say that, because obviously there, maybe there were indicators, maybe he said something, and you know, I know sometimes I'll preach up here and I'll say something and you'll see a face sort of go like, what? And maybe there were faces giving that away, but you know, the people were, were thinking, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're messing with the law. And I think it's important that word abolish, uh, the, the, the original Greek word is kataluo and it means to destroy or overthrow. And so for Jesus to say, don't think I've come to abolish, I mean, that's really strong language. Don't think that I've come to destroy or, or overthrow the law. And, and you know, I find myself thinking, like, why would they think, why would they think Jesus was doing that? Why would they think that he was destroying the law? And it's important to remember that when we look at this time, first century Jerusalem, that the people were used 
uh, used to rabbis, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They were used to uh, them gathering people around and then the rabbi, the Pharisee, they would, they would take a law, one of God's commands, and they would teach the people, here's what it means and here's how you walk it out. Here's how you live this command that God has given you. And one of the primary ways that in interpreting God's laws is they would quote they would quote more senior rabbis, their interpretation. They would say, well, Rabbi Meyer, Rabbi Meyer says, bum, ba, dum, ba, dum, and that's the interpretation. And so here's Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, and right away to, to say the kingdom of God is here, I mean, there's, that's, just, that's new to them. Just that, that, just that phrase and what he's saying, and Jesus has gathered this massive crowd, and what we see in Jesus is he's not quoting you know, a senior rabbi, Jesus isn't, really, he's not quoting anyone. Jesus is speaking in the first person. He's speaking as God. And he's saying things that are different from what the people are used to hearing. He's saying things that are different from what the Pharisees are used to teaching. And so it, it really, it makes sense that some of his listeners would be thinking, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're, you're rewriting the law. So number one in your notes, if you're a note taker, is the law and Jesus, the law in Jesus. So in verse 17, again, Jesus assures his listeners, hey, you know, he's, he's not there to abolish the law. And then in verse 18, he drives that truth home and, and he says, look, I'm not rewriting the law. I'm not changing anything. And he, he drives it home by saying, like, I'm not messing with the least word of the law. I'm not even messing with the least letter or even a, like a comma or a period. I'm not messing with that. I haven't come to abolish the law. And this is key. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill the law. And, and the Greek word, the original word that was used is a word pleru, and it means to make full, to complete. Now that is interesting. So then, to say it another way, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to complete them. Now that's a super helpful definition because that means then, by saying, by Jesus saying, hey, I've come to complete the law and the prophets. That tells me that, that uh, on their own, there was something lacking in the law and the prophets. And if you add up all the rules, all the commandments, all the, you know, the, the laws that God gave his people in the Old Testament, it, adds, it comes up to like 613 laws. Uh, you know, 10 was too many, uh, you know, 613. And, and really what it's saying then is that all those laws, all those rules, all those commands given in the Old Testament uh, were not an end in themselves. They were not complete. They needed to be completed. In a sense, they were getting our, in, uh, our attention in order to point us to something else, not to them, but to something else. And a buddy of mine, he's a theologian and reads lots of thick books. Uh, he said, you know, you can summarize the Old Testament in three words. He is coming. Summarize the Old Testament that way. He said, you can summarize the New Testament in three words. He is here. He is here. The Old Testament says hope is coming. Deliverance is coming. The New Testament says hope is here. Deliverance is here. The New Testament really is, the message is the Messiah. Jesus is coming. And the New Testament says he's here. Jesus, see, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, all point to Jesus. Jesus is the one that fulfills them. And, you know, through the Old Testament, uh, you may or may not be familiar with this, but there's all these prophecies given by these prophets. 
where they're making claims that one day, um, the Messiah, this guy is gonna come. And, and they have all these prophecies that they made in Jesus in coming to earth, in the way he lived, all that he did, all that he said, he fulfilled every one of those prophecies. You know, around Christmas time, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot in Isaiah 7. It, it was prophesied about the birth of this Messiah. It said that the, that the virgin will conceive. Like, what? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a little boy. And we're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what do you know? In the New Testament, we meet this young woman named Mary. She's a virgin. <gasps> She's pregnant. She, you know, she conceived through the Holy Spirit, and that little boy in her womb is Jesus. Jesus fully fulfilled that prophecy in Micah. There's a prophecy that the ruler of Israel, this Messiah, this deliverer, he was going to come out of a little obscure town called uh, Bethlehem. I almost said Sunbury. I'm like, what? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> It's written right here, but called Bethlehem. You know the story. You sing the song. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, in Isaiah, a little further on, the, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about what the ministry of this Messiah would look like when he comes, and it says that signs and wonders are going to follow this guy everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes, blind people are going to see. Deaf people are going to hear. The lame people are going to jump for joy. And the mute is going to shout praises to God. And what do we see in the New Testament? All through the story of Jesus, everywhere he goes, the kingdom of God breaks in and people are healed. Signs and wonders, all kinds of wonderful, crazy things happen. And then finally, one more, Zechariah uh, 11 says that this Messiah that's going to come, he's going to be betrayed by a friend. And that friend's, someone's going to pay that friend 30 pieces of silver to betray him. Well, what do we see in the New Testament? Jesus is betrayed by his friend, Judas. And how much did they pay Judas? 30 pieces of silver. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. There's loads more, all the prophecies about him, but he also fulfilled the law. And this is what I want to focus in on. Like, what does that mean that he fulfilled the law? What does it mean that he completed uh, the law? And I think it's important in answering that question, it's important to know why the law all these rules, all these commands that we see in the Old Testament, why they were given in the first place. Like, what was the point of the law? Well, I'm going to look at three points. The first one is this. The law was given to instruct God's people. God gave the law to his people to, to teach them, to teach us how he wanted us to live how he wanted us to relate to him, how he wanted us to relate to each other, how he wanted us to relate to the foreigners, the other people around us. And uh, Deuteronomy 18.9 says, God said this in the Old Testament. He said, hey, you guys, whenever you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the, the detestable customs of the nations living there. What God is saying to the people all throughout the Old Testament, you see God saying, hey, listen up. You're my people, and my people, God's people, God's kids, we're a holy, you're a holy people. And holy means you're set apart. You're different from other people on this planet. You walk to the beat of my drum. You don't walk to the beat of the, of the culture's drum. You're my people, and I'm giving you these guidelines, I'm giving you these laws and all these rules, and I'm giving them to you both as, as an identity marker that it would show the rest of the world that, hey, these people are different. They belong to God. So it would be an identity marker, but it would also be for your protection. 
because he knows the world we live in. And so he's given us guidelines to protect us from the evils of this world. And you know, when I talk about the law, I don't know about you, but I don't like get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside, even with the word the law. Like it just has this dun, 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 right? It just has this heaviness in this sort of, it's a, it's a cold word. But when you hear the word law, when you think of the Old Testament and all the commandments and all the rules that God gave, when you hear law, think, uh, think loving father. Think loving father who loves his children so much that he is gonna lay down guidelines. He's gonna lay down guardrails to protect you and I from going over the cliffs of this life. Right? It's from the heart of a loving father who's saying, hey, uh, I'm giving you these laws for your benefit. It's not cold, it's, it's from a place of love. So, first point of the law, it's given to instruct us. Second point of the law, the law was given to point out our sinfulness and our brokenness. Oh. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So, you know, when I, when I read that, okay, through the law, the law, the standards that God has laid out through those, you and I basically discover how broken we are. Like basically we discover how we can't do what God has asked us to do. And, and I don't know if your mind goes here, but I, I, I sort of go, well, wait a minute then. So you're saying that God knew in advance. He knew in advance when he drew up this list of 613 rules, he knew that he was handing us a test that we could never in a million years pass on our own, right? And he also knew that in giving us that test, that in our attempt, our struggle, our striving to try and obey him, that we would discover what he already knew, we can't do it. Like, doesn't that sound like, uh, I thought you said earlier, loving father. That doesn't sound like a loving father, does it? That could almost sound a little, a little cruel, well, it would be if that's where he left us. But this is where we see his father's love shine through. See, the Bible makes it clear that every human being on planet Earth, that God created us, and he made each one of us to be in a relationship with him. And what God knows and what we don't know, we need help to discover. What God knows is that our sin, this thing inside your heart and my heart that is just rebellious against God. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I'm not, you know, that just doesn't wanna submit to him. God knows that our sin is the thing that's getting in the way of this relationship we were made for. And so, knowing that, the most loving thing he could do would be to expose the problem and then make a way to, to resolve it, to remove the problem. Does that make sense? In a sense, it's a loving father, you know, sort of bringing us to that place of struggle and saying, there, there, now, do you see it? Do you see what you keep tripping over? Do you see that thing in your heart that, that, that does damage to you, that does damage to your relationship? Like, do you see that thing inside that keeps causing trouble? Hey, let's... Let's do something about that. Listen to this quote from, from Martin Luther, the German uh, theologian. He says, 
The law humbles us not to our destruction, but to our salvation. Right, so the law, coming to the end of ourselves, it's not a bad thing. What, it's, what the Bible says is actually, that's a really good thing. See, a third point of the law is this. The law wasn't just given to expose how sinful we are, how unable we are to fully obey it. The law was also given, the, point, the third point of the law was also given to lead us back to Jesus, to bring us back to the relationship we were, we were always intended to be in. Um, uh, the apostle Paul, uh, he's like a hero in the New Testament. He's written you know, a big chunk of the New Testament and he was a guy, if you're familiar with Paul, he was a man who was very much in touch with his sin, right, with his brokenness, with his inability to, to obey God. He said this in, in Romans 7, he said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And what brought him to that place? What brought him to that place of saying that? It was the law. It was the rules. It was him going, getting the test back and going, oh, look at all that red ink. I failed again. I failed the test again. But it doesn't end there. Verse 25 says, oh, but thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, if we miss the point of the law, and you know, God has set a standard. We can't do it. Jesus to the rescue. If we miss the point, especially the third point, if we miss that point, well, really, the, the Pharisees missed the third point. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were really in tune with God has set a standard. And, and they, were, they were in tune, like any other human being, that we can't do it. But what they missed out on, they missed that third point that said, Jesus to the rescue, right? And what we see in the Pharisees, which we're all prone to do, and really what we do see in the Pharisees is, is pride, like, I can do this on my own. What we see in the, prayer, the, the Pharisees is that they, when they came to that place of realizing they can't do it, they had a decision to make, and what they chose was they, encho- they chose to embrace the law. We just gotta do better instead of embracing Jesus, the rescuer. They chose to embrace the signpost instead of the destination, Jesus. They chose to embrace performance instead of grace. And because of that, for them and for us, if that's what we do, it's no wonder we'd be miserable people. See, uh, the reasons we're miserable, it's twofold. First reason that we're miserable in that place is because uh, we've discovered that on our own, we cannot meet the requirements of the law, which is, which is perfect obedience. There's something, I mean, you don't have to be in church this weekend. You don't have to be a Christian uh, to be in touch with that part of humanity. And what I mean is this, uh, I believe every human being at some level is aware because we're all made by God. His fingerprints are all over every human being. At some level, we're aware that there is a right way to live, that there is a wise way to live, that there is a healthy way to live. I think, I think we all know that at some level, but, but what makes us miserable is we know that and much of the time, we want to do that, but most of the time, we don't do that, right? I don't know about you, but it's, but it's very natural to, to make the wrong choice. I find it very natural to make the wrong choice to, you know, uh, to just get in touch with that part of me that 
is rebellious against God, that part of me that even though I know the right thing, I still do the wrong thing. Uh, I mean, think about this. When was the last time, you know, you did something or you said something and uh, uh, in doing that, in saying that, you became aware, or it, like you became aware of something inside of you that you were like, whoa, I didn't know that was in me, right? I didn't know, I, you know, I knew there was some brokenness, but whoa, where did that come from? Like, here, here's what I mean. I'm, uh, years ago, I was driving down in Westerville, and a guy cut me off uh, on the road. And, uh, you know, there's something about, well, any temptation is sin. Like there's something about anger or uh, uh, where there, there's like there's this little window where we have a choice to make. I mean, we don't have a slide for this, but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, uh, but when we are tempted, uh, uh, God is faithful. He'll provide a way out. And what I mean by that is I'm convinced that when we're tempted to do something that we know is wrong, God sort of provides this little window of, are you sure you want to do that? And, and I remember that day, that little window went by real fast because I was like, I'm sure I want to do this. And I just, when that guy cut me off, I just hit the gas as, fast, as much as you can in a scion. But I hit the gas, and I just took off. But I did, I hit the gas, and I took off after this guy that cut me off. And he saw me in the rearview mirror, and so he took off. And now we're racing down this road not for long, thankfully, because we came to a stop sign and the guy ahead of me went roaring through the stop sign. And then I saw the stop sign. I saw what he just did and how dangerous that was. And I screeched at the stop sign and I literally said out loud, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you know, on so many levels, you've just broken how many traffic laws? You've just broken how many of God's laws? And I knew that. And yet I still did the wrong thing. And that's why we're miserable. We're in touch with that broken side of us. Second reason we're miserable is because our inability to meet the requirements of the law puts us at odds with God, creates a barrier for us. Galatians 3.10 says this, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe the does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Well, no wonder we're miserable. What does that say there? It says, cursed is, you know, everyone who gets only 50% of the test. No, it's cursed is everyone who doesn't obey all the commands that God has given. That means uh, in this broken place, no wonder we're miserable, we're under God's judgment. Right, we're under his curse, but thankfully, that's not the end of the story, right? There's good news. Jesus has come to fulfill the law, right? God sets a standard. We can't do it. Jesus to the rescue. God has come to meet the requirements of the law that we can't do on our behalf. Galatians continues, uh, verse 13 says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, when he was hung on the cross, he took on himself, upon himself, the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus fully did what you and I can't do. That's the good news. He fully met the requirements of the law. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He did not break one of the laws. 
And then he turned, not that, he didn't, you know, as if that wasn't enough. Then he turned on our behalf to rescue us, and, and then he paid the debt that we had. Because we're lawbreakers, we're guilty. We've got a penalty that needs to be paid, right, that we could never pay. And Jesus on the cross takes that penalty on himself. See that? That's where he's fulfilled. He's met the requirements of the law. Well, that's good news. That's good news for all of us. But then Jesus makes this statement, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, oh, come on, Jesus. Why'd you have to go and say that? Because we're just starting to feel good. The good news was sinking in, like, hey, he's done for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and then Jesus drops this. And when he says righteousness, he, basically he means that, for I tell you that unless your obedience to God's standards, to God's law, unless that surpasses the Pharisees, you're not in. And in saying that, that would have sent like a shockwave through all the people. Because the, it, it, like the Pharisees would have heard that and they they would have been super offended by that. Like, whoa, because they were the religious elite. I mean, that's how they saw themselves, and, and really, that's how everyone else saw them. I mean, they're like, wait a minute, surpass us? Well, if you surpass us, that's, that's just God. That's the next level. They're a pretty arrogant bunch, pretty self-sufficient bunch. They would have been offended. The people, the people hearing that would have been so discouraged because it's like, What? You're saying we have, to, you know, we have to surpass the religious elite? We need to be better than these guys? I mean, like, like Billy Graham X-Men? You know, like we gotta be better than them? That's impossible. I mean, that's, that's, that's impossible. Well, well, who then can be saved? So number two in your notes is the law and us. Right, the law and us. And in saying what Jesus said, Right? Unless you do better than these guys, you'll not enter the kingdom of God. Another way to put that, I think a helpful way to, to sort of uh, put what Jesus said would be, unless you choose better than these guys, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Because again, think of what we've just been saying. God sets a standard. We can't do it. Jesus to the rescue. And what God is saying here is, he's, he's, you know, he, what he's not saying is, if you want to follow me, if you, you know, if you want to be my disciple, my child, well, then you're going to have to level up your game. Like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, my child, you don't need to level up, you need to bow down. You need to bow down. And really, he's a great preacher. He's bringing us all the way back to the beginning of his sermon, and he's bringing us back to the Beatitudes. Because remember the Beatitudes were blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. There's all these people that God blesses, all these people that God looks at and goes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. And the very first Beatitude says in uh, Matthew 5, 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean again? The poor in spirit, uh, it's any man, any woman who has come to the end of themselves, has come to that place of God set a standard, we can't do it. You've come to the end of yourself and what you've chosen, unlike the Pharisees, what you've chosen is Jesus. Right? You've come to the end of yourself and what you've found is Jesus. And how does God respond to someone who comes to that place, comes to the end of themselves? He says, you're in. 
Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And I say choose better because the Pharisees would have, they, again, they got point one, they got point two, they didn't get point three, right? The lives that they live, it was all built on performance. It was they embraced the law. They didn't embrace the Savior. They, they didn't embrace Jesus. And so what it means, it, it means that if you're gonna follow Jesus, you're, you're, you're gonna live a lifetime of making choices, and you're making choices anyways. But if you follow Jesus, it's constantly coming to that place where you come to the end of yourself and you have a choice to make now. Is the choice, I'm gonna lean on his grace? Or, is it, or the other choice would be, or I'm gonna have to try to figure out how to fix this myself. Right, so it's, it's, it's for those that choose it's choosing better than these guys. These guys are making the wrong choice. They're trying to figure it out on their own. And Jesus is saying, no, choose me. Choose me. And those are the people that are getting it. So let me end off with this. We're saved by grace. It's a gift to be received. Jesus has come. Jesus has fulfilled the law. It is finished. But we are still called to obey God's law. Because the law has been fulfilled, it's not like, so just go do whatever you want to do now. Those laws, those commands, those rules still stand. I mean, he's our loving father. He knows what's best for us. And we are still commanded to obey him, to follow his. And what we need to realize is, even though Jesus has fulfilled the law, there is still great resistance in our hearts to obeying God's ways. See, following Jesus means it's gonna take great effort on our behalf. It's gonna take great effort for you and I to obey him. Because when you, you know, before you said yes to Jesus, you were just going along with the current of the world. You're just, you're just in the current, doing your thing. But as soon as you said yes, you know, Jesus, I wanna follow you, you just turned into the current and oh, now you're going against the current. It's gonna take great effort. Uh, but following Jesus also means you don't have to fight that current alone. Acts 1.8, one of my favorite verses says, but you, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does that verse say? That is, uh, that is just such an incredible promise because you know what God's saying? He's saying, hey, uh, I fulfilled the law. I have taken care of the, the, the problem with sin. You couldn't meet the requirement of the law. I'm doing it. I did it for you, so you're good. And now, though, even though I fulfilled it, you're still living in this world. We're not in heaven yet. So there's still this great resistance. And, he, and what, what we're seeing in that verse is God going, and hey, don't worry, son, daughter, I've got that covered too. I'm gonna send my spirit. God's gonna come live inside of you and he is gonna help you every day, every situation. He's going to empower your effort oh, to turn into the current. He is gonna empower you to obey. And here's something that is so amazing. Did you realize your effort to obey, like your striving to do what God wants you to do, it really is... Uh, it's not to earn anything, right? It's not earn anything. Like, listen, listen to this quote. Being rescued by God isn't a reward for our obedience. Being rescued is the reason for our obedience. 
See, the reason when I say strive, I know that's like a negative word, but when I say strive to obey God, it, the, the question there is why are we striving, right? We're not striving to earn anything from God. We're striving as a response. Our striving, us putting in the effort to go against the culture and to say yes to God, I'm gonna do my best to follow you, that striving really is worship. It's worship to God. It's a response to his goodness. It's our response. A a verse uh, you might be familiar with, John 14, 15 says, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. You know, I read that verse this week and I thought, I've never seen it this way. If you turn that around, if you obey my commands, Jesus says, you're loving me. And I thought, wow, little man me, I can give something to God. I can love him. When I make that effort, when I make that effort to obey him, it really is, it's like worshiping him. I'm expressing, that effort is me expressing my love to God. And in those times when road rage (laughs) wins out and I fail, right, I have a choice to make. Oh, am I saved by performance or by grace? By grace. So I ask his forgiveness. I receive his forgiveness. And then I get up and I try again. So here's what we're gonna do uh, before we take some time to pray. Uh, as this week as I was working on this talk, this question kept rolling around my brain. You know, law, grace, law, grace. The question was, how do I know whether or not I'm living under law or grace? How do I know whether or not I'm living under performance, a performance-based faith, or a grace-based faith? And so as I thought about that, I wrote down a bunch of thoughts, like, like potential indicators and so what I want to do is, you know, in the vineyard, we, we believe that God is with us, right? I'm up here talking away, and here's, what, here's where my confidence lies, not in me. My confidence is that right now God is working in this room because he knows you and he knows what you need today. And so I want to do something, just a little exercise together, uh, just to give God space to come close. And what we're going to do is we're just going to quiet, get quiet for a bit, close our eyes so we won't be distracted, And I'm just going to slowly read through this list of potential indicators that we're living under performance and not grace. And I just want to give God an opportunity to speak to us. And and you may be like, oh, speak to us. You keep saying that. I don't ever hear God speak to me. Well, here's what I would say. As we quiet ourselves, just be aware of, is there something I say that just sort of goes boom and hits your heart? Well, grab onto that because that's one of the ways God speaks to us. It could be just something floating through your mind as I'm speaking. So let's, let's just close our eyes, quiet ourselves. So Lord, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you uh, that you're a God who loves us, knows us, a God who comes close. And I just pray right now as I go through this list that you would speak to people. So you may be living your life under performance if you lack joy. If there is a lack of joy in your life and there's sort of a 
more of a constant heaviness that could be an indicator that you've, you've embraced performance over grace. Another indicator is, you know, are you prone to shame and condemnation? Does the enemy just sort of flick your smallest mistake, your smallest failure, and you just crumble inside? That could be an indicator that you've, you've, you've not embraced grace. Do you struggle with failure? Like, is it hard to forgive yourself? Is it hard to receive God's grace, his forgiveness, when you failed? Do you, uh, are you prone to comparing yourself to others? Where do I measure up? How do I measure up? And in that comparison, do you find that you compete with others? That could be a sign that you, you've embraced performance and not grace. Is it hard to celebrate other people's victories? Does worship, when we gather together and we sing these songs of praise to God, does, that, does worship make no sense to you? Because you see God as a, as a ruthless father not a loving father. Maybe worship even annoys you. Could that be because you've embraced performance? Do you have a sense of loneliness, especially in in the hard times? Do you have this feeling that you're on your own and you need to figure this out for yourself? Well, that could be an indicator that you have embraced performance over grace. Because performance says you need to figure this out. You need to level up. Grace says Jesus is with you. Jesus has come to rescue you, to help you. So we're just gonna be quiet a little longer to let this settle in. So Lord, I just bless all the ways that you're coming close right now.